come this morning <clears throat> representing uh, Lincoln Christian University, and I bring you greetings from Don Green, who is our seventh president at Lincoln, and um, will tell you that he's just doing a, an excellent job for us at Lincoln. I've known Don for a, a long, long time. Um, we go way back also because he used to referee uh, some of my JV games for me back in the day, and I fortunately never got to yell at him because I was the varsity coach, so... Um, <laughs> It's like a young girl that I met on a plane in uh, uh, Minneapolis, and we were flying on the plane, and she had a Christian book in her hand, and my seat ended up happening to be by hers, and I said, uh, so are you a Christian? And she was probably 17 years old, 18 maybe, and she's pretty timid, and she kind of looked at me like you know I was going to attack her, and I said, ma'am, I'm a our young girl. I'm, I'm also a Christian. I was just questioning what you're doing with that good Christian book in your hand. And so as it turns out, God does have a small world that we live in. And um, her father uh, was a basketball referee down in Joplin, Missouri. And uh, she told me who she, you know, and I said, well, what church do you go to down there? And well, she happened to go to the church at Robin Sigers, who I've known who played basketball at Ozark. And I coached against Robin when he was in school. And, and she said, well, and his wife passed away of cancer. And left quite a few children, and so she babysat. She lived next door to Robin, and she then, and that's when I think she told me that her dad officiated basketball, and he called a lot of games at, at Ozark, and I said, well, I probably yelled at your dad then <laughs> through the years, and sure enough, we flew into Kansas City, and her folks met her, and we got off the plane. I recognized him, and he recognized me, <laughs> but we were still good friends. Um, so I've enjoyed my time at Lincoln and uh, appreciate uh, this congregation, what you've done, and the financial support that you've given to us, which is very, very important, and also for you hiring people who have graduated from Lincoln, and uh, Darren graduated from Lincoln, and uh, so I'm glad that you have hired him, and I know that you are being blessed by him and his ministry, and I brought Jordan with me this morning. She wanted, and I didn't realize this told others, I didn't realize that her mom and dad were gone. And, uh, and I thought, and you still wanted to come back here? Well, that's good. So, um, and I'm sure it wasn't just because I was driving the car. Uh, but uh, we had a good trip up, except for the wind, which you all incur- have been suffering through with up here too. So, um, But as I come to you, I'm grateful for all that this church has done. And we ask that you continue to pray for us at Lincoln and continue to support us. And uh, we pray that uh, we will continue to produce and um, prepare people for Christian ministry uh, wherever they decide to go and whatever they decide to go into it. And I will give you a little bit more detail about that, but just to say this, uh, we now have graduates who serve in all the states of the Union. It did take us a long time to get somebody to go to North Dakota. I talked to him. I talked to him two weeks ago, and I said, "So what's the temperature?" And he said, "It's thirty below." I said, "Wind chill?" He said, "We don't even talk about wind chill up here. There's no need to talk about wind chill." So we're thankful that he's still there and still ministering in North Dakota, and we've also been in 167 countries of the world. That represents 95 percent of the world's population, and that's where we've been. So God has truly blessed us and allowed. Christ to be taken around the world. Um, Noah read this morning the scripture that I want to talk about. It's from Acts, the first chapter. And actually, if you listen closely, you realize that this was the transfiguration, what we call the transfiguration 
and God and Jesus going back into heaven. So what happened on that occasion, there's, there's several things that you just need to put in your mind. The very first thing is the geographical setting of that story. Uh, Jesus uh, was outside the city of Jerusalem, as best we can tell. He was probably standing on the south end of the Mount of Olives. And uh, at the north end of the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where Jesus prayed uh, that prayer asking God to uh, take away the cup of suffering and uh, prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And then so, but he's at the far end of that, that mountain. And the mountain overlooks, and I say mountain, <clears throat> I, hill would be a better word. Uh, they call it the Mount of Olives, but it was just a slight hill, and it looks right down on the city of Jerusalem. And it's on the east side. The Brook Kidron is there. And that's also somewhat of a misnomer because the only time the Brook Kidron ever has any water is when it rains. There's no water flowing through the Brook Kidron at that time. And group coming home from Israel will be able to identify all of these places and, and uh, tell you that that's the way it is in, in the Brook Kidron. But they're at the south end of the hill, the mountain. And around the corner are two cities, the city of Bethpage and Bethany. And you'll recall Bethpage is where Jesus told the disciples to go to get the, the uh, small donkey that he was going to ride into Jerusalem. And just around the corner, like on the, about the south uh, east corner of this mount, is the city of Bethany where Lazarus and his two sisters lived. So that's where they are geographically. Jesus is, and the emotional part of this is Jesus is getting ready to go back into heaven. And he's saying goodbye. Now, I don't know exactly, I'm so all of you, all of us have been through those situations where we're saying goodbye to somebody that we don't know when we're going to see them again. We, we anticipate seeing them again, but, but we just don't know when and we don't know where. And Pretty emotional, I'm fairly sure, and Jesus is saying goodbye. But before he said goodbye to all of them, <clears throat> they wanted to know about the kingdom. Um, Jesus had been preaching about the kingdom for three and a half years. So Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? What, what's going to happen? Well, he, he gives what we understand as the Great Commission. It's, it's recorded also in other gospel messages, maybe more prominently in the Gospel of Matthew. But he gives them that, and then all of a sudden, uh, he is being lifted up. Now, the last time they saw that was, as I mentioned earlier, I got it reversed, but that was the transfiguration when Jesus was lifted up and, and he was glorified, and Moses and Elijah were standing beside him, and he, he was right there. On this occasion, he just into what we would call into thin air. And all of a sudden, there were two angels standing. Now, I don't know if these are the same two angels that God sent, but it's ironic that both times that these angels or angels appeared, one time was at the tomb. And remember, as the ladies came to the tomb, he said, they said to them, why seek ye the living among the dead? Only this time they said, what are you standing here looking in the sky for? This same Jesus that you saw going to heaven, he's going to return in the same way. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have been absolutely just almost petrified. These angels are standing there, and, and, you know, and the word intently here is a very, very strong Greek word. I mean, Jesus, they had, and if they were to try to answer the angels on the occasion, well, he, he was right here. We've, we've been with him for three and a half years, and we've slept at his side, and we've, we've eaten with him, and we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and, and now he's, he's, he's gone. And the very first thing that the angels tried to do was to assure them that what they saw is really what they saw. And what they had experienced was really what they had experienced. 
This was Jesus. There wasn't any question about it. He was the Son of God. But he's going to come again. He is going to come again. That was the assurance that there, there was something about that that was a, probably very calming to them that he's going to come back. The angel said he's going to come back. You're going to be able to see him again. There wasn't anything about time for them at that point in time. Just that he was going to return again. And that had to be a joyous thing. But the angels were saying when he comes again, it won't be the same. It will not be the same when he returns because he will return. Jesus even said this. When I come back, I will come back in all the glory of the Father. We have no concept of that. There is no way that I could stand here this morning and explain to you he's coming back in all the glory that God has. We look around the world in which we live, and and, um, my computer screen, every time it comes up, it comes up with a different image on it on the screensaver. Just beautiful places in the world, and it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. That's the part of the glory of God, and Jesus is going to come back in all the glory of the Father. That is just mind-boggling. That is so uh, just beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. He's going to come back with us, with all the angels, with, with all of those who have passed away already. As, as Paul says there in First Thessalonians, all those who have died in Christ are going to come back with him. And those of us who are alive will be brought up before him. Just a grand thing. And it says also says, that every knee will see him, or that every eye will see him, and every knee will bow before him. What a grand thing. What a glorious thing that will happen. There's been a lot of things that have come out of that. One of those is the very fact that we've had a lot of people who have thought they've been able to determine when that's going to happen. So as they delve into Daniel, as they look at the book of Revelation, they've come up with, you know, they and this started, this started a long time ago, folks. It didn't just start last week. Two months ago, a couple of years ago, it started a long time ago. In 1843, a guy by the name of Miller was out in Colorado, and he said, Jesus is going to return. He named the date. They gathered together for Jesus to return, and Jesus didn't return when Mr. Miller said he was going to. He said, well, I've missed it by a year. Does that sound very familiar if you've followed any theology? He said, well, I've missed it by a whole year. It's next year. Well, 1844 came and Jesus didn't come, okay? And a guy by the name of Harold Camping began to talk about it, and some of you may remember this. He put about, I don't know how many billboards all over the United States. He put it in Reader's Digest. Why he put it there, I've never been quite able to figure that one out. But anyhow, that Jesus is going to return, and he gave the date, May 21st of 2011. Jesus is going to return, and Jesus didn't come back. You know what he said? I missed it. He's coming in October. Well, thanks, Harold. That's really appreciative of you to be able to say to us, you've missed it this time. You missed it the last time because he wrote a book in 94 and said the same thing, that Jesus is going to return, and he was wrong then, he was wrong here, and he was wrong again. The only thing that that creates for me is this. It gives the church another black eye. It gives those who think, well, those Christians, they believe that Jesus is going to come, and look, these they've said when, 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 and it's not happened. And the thing that Jesus said over and over and over, I will come like, what? A thief in the night. Nobody knows. I don't know. If Jesus said, I don't know, then why do we worry about trying to figure out exactly when it's going to happen? Because we've never been able to figure it out because 
If Jesus doesn't know, then I don't know how we think that we can figure it out. The only thing that Jesus talks about over and over in all of his parables is what? Be ready. Be ready. Live in anticipation of his return. Always be ready. So we don't know when that's going to be. It's going to happen, but we don't know when that's going to happen. Now, for some, you know, maybe it could happen tonight. And for those who have assignments in class tomorrow, that'd be a good thing if Jesus would come tonight so they wouldn't have to worry about homework for tomorrow, okay? I, I just, we just don't know when that's going to happen. But we live in full anticipation that Jesus is going to return. Now, there's one other issue that's involved in that, and I'll quickly go through it. If every eye is going to see Jesus and every knee is going to bow, <clears throat> then Jesus, you know, we all realize that it, the, the earth is round. So if Jesus comes to the United States, of course, uh, he comes over here, then all the people on the... Mm, if my God can create this world, he can create the situation where every eye will see his son and every knee will bow and proclaim him Lord. It's going to happen. Now, the other thing that's in this text is simply this. He gave them the Great Commission, and he told them to go back into Jerusalem. So the very question that the angels asked, what are you standing here looking? Isn't there something you're supposed to be doing? And if they would have answered that question and said, yes, there is. They needed to go to Jerusalem. They needed to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, and Acts 2 would be carried out. That's exactly what happened. But what does that mean for us? Well, in my estimation, it's basically the same thing because the Great Commission was given to all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. So what they did is they gave us the idea, the, the plan by which we need to carry out what it is that Jesus has asked us to do. And what I want to say about that this morning is simply this. It's basically found, it's a reminder of what we're supposed to do, but it's carried out because we understand there's the authority by which Jesus gave this and the action which he's called us to. The authority is like goes in this way. Jesus claimed over there in Matthew, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, why did he claim that? Well, he claimed that so that he would have within him the power and the authority by which that statement could even be made. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Colossians the first chapter. I think Paul did an excellent job of pointing it out here of who Jesus really is and the power and the majesty of Jesus. Colossians 1, and we're going to start in verse 15. I'll give you a second to find it. Colossians 1, 15. Or if you have it on your app on the phone, it's much easier and quicker to find, isn't it? Yeah. Colossians 1, 15. And instead of using the pronoun he, which is Jesus, I'm, uh, he is Jesus, I'm going to say Jesus' name. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that at everything Jesus might have the supremacy. Wow. 
That is a lot of power. That is a lot of authority. That is my God, Son. And He is the one, and it's by His authority that we do all of these things. And everything that we do and understand about Jesus is in here. It's not a revelation that has been handed off to somebody else at some other time. It is in God's word. This is the power. This is the authority by which we have our marching orders. And it's by that authority that we carry out that great commission. So what is that commission? Well, Jesus gave it. He told them that they were going to be, first of all, he told them they were going to be what? They were going to be witnesses. They were going to be witnesses of Jesus. Now, I'm sure I don't have to explain since there's so many TV shows on today about judges, Judge Judy, Judge Brown, and I could list all the shows that are on about judges. So what is a witness? A witness, very simply, is somebody who has what? Seen something or they've heard something and they testify to that. That's what a witness is. So my question this morning is simply this. Are you going to be a positive witness for Jesus or are you going to be a negative witness? You will be a witness for Jesus, period. That is a fact. You will be, if you have claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will be a witness for Jesus. My question is, are you going to be a positive witness for him or are you going to be a negative witness? Let me illustrate it a couple ways. Um, The preacher at our church, uh, in one of the churches in Lincoln is Jefferson Street Christian Church. And our preacher, and, and you'll be able to tell in the story, it, it's been a couple of years since this happened, but it's true. He went to the store, and he bought groceries, and he was going through the checkout line, and he got, he got to, and the gal was checking things and putting them back here. And so she, he told her, she told him how much it was, and he got his wallet out, and he got green stuff, not a plastic card, but green stuff. Okay, got green stuff out and handed it to her, and she took it, and rang it up, shut the door, drawer got, or opened up, and the drawer came open, and she got the money out, and she's handing the money back. She didn't count it. She just handed him the money back. He, she put it in his hand. He just stuck it in his pocket, bagged the groceries, got out to the car. He put all the groceries in the car. Then he reached in his pocket to pull out the green stuff to put back in his wallet, and she had given him more money back than he had given her to begin with. Now, the good news is he went back inside, Okay. And he waited for her line to go down. He didn't want to get her in trouble, so he just kind of waited a bit. And then her line went down, and he said, Ma'am, you need to know that you actually gave me more money back than I gave you. And she said, Yeah, I know that. And he stopped, and he looked at her, and he said, Well, what do you mean? She said, Aren't you the preacher at Jefferson Street Christian Church? Well, yes, I am. I wanted to see just how honest you were. See, you may never know when somebody else is looking or trying to verify how strong a witness you really are. Now, I know that sometimes I, I, I Jordan didn't say anything this morning complaining about my driving, but sometimes um, my driving is such that I've wanted always to invent something that, you know, on the bumper that I, I'm sorry that I just cut you off. You know, I... You know, hit a little button, and so as you pull in front of somebody, or you didn't see them, and you got something on the side that's, I'm sorry I didn't see you there, you know, I'm sorry about my driving, <laughs> whatever. I, I, I'd like to engineer that and make the money for it. So, But anyhow, just to apologize for my driving or the way in which I've, I've done things like that. 
But I realize that that's my witness. I mean, sometimes that has turned into other people into road rage. Sometimes when I go to Walmart, I will wear something that says Lincoln Christian University on me. Because when I get to Walmart, <clears throat> it's happened more than once. I get to Walmart, I'm, oh, if anybody else is like this, I'm always looking for the shortest line out, okay? So before they had that express stuff that usually doesn't work at the Walmarts I'm at, I, I've gone, I'm looking for the shortest line, and I get in what I think is the shortest line. I'm standing there, and I look over, and I realize that that line over there seems to be going much quicker for the line that I'm in because the lady up there has had pulled out a... After the gal checked, then she pulls out a wad of coupons. And I'm going, I can't believe this. So I step out of line. I go over here, get in this line over here. And then I look back at the one I was in, and people have already gone out. I'm still standing in this line. And then I get up to the counter, and the lady says, did you, did you find everything you were looking for? And there are a lot of things that I always wanted to say to them. But that's why I wore something that says Lincoln Christian University on it, so that I don't say the things that I'm thinking in my mind. See, I'm going to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You're going to be a witness for Jesus Christ. My question this morning is this. Are you a positive witness for our Lord? The second thing that Jesus indicates here is he's telling us where this is going to happen. He said, you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea. And some of your folks are over there right now. They're there witnessing about who Jesus is. But for the rest of us, we're not in Jerusalem. We're not in Judea. We're here, wherever you live, around here. But the very first place where you live, because this is what I think Jerusalem really is, it's our homes. We are to be Christians in our homes. We are to be witnesses for Christ in our homes. So what are our homes like? What are the things that are going on in our homes Some of you have had your socks blessed off of you because every time you pull up the chairs underneath the table for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, everybody that comes around that table is a Christian. And it's just a great thing. It's a wonderful experience. But for other people, it doesn't make any difference how many people are here this morning. I know that's not always the case. Because sometimes we have people who who are a spouse, is a very strong believer, comes to church, does everything that's right in the sight of God and, and the person that they're married to doesn't even want anything to do with the church. Oh, you're able to go to church. I don't care, but don't talk to me about church. I've had it up to here with church. You're just a bunch of hypocrites there. And so sometimes home is the most difficult place to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It really is. It sometimes is the hardest place ever for a person to be a witness for Christ. I just met with a man in the church where we go to church now, and 30 years of marriage, and his wife has had an affair, and he is just absolutely crushed. So trying to be a positive witness in that home, because she was there till yesterday, has been very, very difficult for this man. So being at home is sometimes not the easiest place to be a Christian who has a positive witness for Christ. We need to pray for parents 
who are raising children, that they will always be a positive witness for Christ and that their influence upon their children will be such that God's name will always be held in high esteem and high honor. And then Jesus said, I want you to go to Judea. Now, in my estimation, what he was talking about, and when they get home you can talk about it, but Judea is basically what I would call the county around Jerusalem. That's like Rock Island County. This is, this is where you all live. This is where you have a sphere of influence. And it doesn't make any difference if you're retired or you're still working. It doesn't make any difference because you have a sphere of influence right here in this area. This is where you live. This is where you go to school. This is where you work. And this is the influence of who you are and where you can be that positive witness for Christ. I know that tomorrow morning when I go back to school, when I walk into my building, I work in the best place ever. I walk into my building, I know what I'm going to hear tomorrow morning. We're going to gather for prayer at 9 o'clock. We're going to talk about what happened uh, one guy's a preacher over in Champaign. He's going to come in. He's going to talk about his little congregation over there. And then we're going to hear, because two others go to the same church down in Elkhart, which is a small church just south of Lincoln. We're going to hear about that. They'll ask me where I was, and I'll tell them about you all. And uh, it, we'll just share about what happened today. We'll share that information and news tomorrow. And I'm going to hear nothing but really, really good things. Some of you will go to work tomorrow where you'll hear nothing but trash. And that might be at school where you hear foul language all the time out in the hallway. People are saying things. Or you're going to work where people talk. They'll be talking about what they did this last weekend. Maybe who they slept with. What they did this last weekend. And what parties they went to. And then by Wednesday it'll turn to what they're going to do next weekend. And how they're going to live. And what they're going to do. And It's disgraceful. And you all have to sometimes listen to that. And you wonder, why is it, God, that I'm in a place like that? And here's what I want to say. When Queen Esther was made the queen by her uncle's decision to put her into a queen's race, and then he found out, uncle found out, that there was a decree where all the Jews were going to be slaughtered. They were all going to be killed. And so he said to Queen Esther... You need to go in and petition our lives to the king. And her response was this. If I go in and he doesn't receive me, I could lose my life right there, right then. Life would be over. And his response was this. Could it be that God has placed you at this time in this place for that very reason? So my point is simply this. Could it be that God has placed you in the place that you work to bring light, to bring hope, and to be the salt of the earth, which he has called us to be and to do. If we're going to be a witness for Christ and we're going to testify as to who Jesus is, it may be in those kinds of places. And then Jesus told us, where else we do this? It's going to be in Samaria. Well, Samaria is not, um, it's, it's okay today. But back in the day, it was the worst place that any Jew could ever have to go. Samaritans were the worst people ever. They had taken the first five books of the Old Testament, and they had worked in occultic stuff, Baal worship, uh, Asherah's poles, all kinds of things that were absolutely abomination as far as the Jews were concerned. 
And they were doing that in Samaria. And the Jews didn't like them. They were, according to the Jews, the scum of the earth. When Jesus said, I want you to go to Samaria, he wasn't just saying a nice place to go. Now, every time that Jesus went from Jerusalem to Galilee, where did he go? Right through Samaria. Why? Because when he knew that when he left this earth and he told his disciples, you need to take the gospel to Samaria, they would know where it is. And they would know that's where Jesus went. So my question this morning is, where's your Samaria? I don't know at this place where it might be. There might be some place in Rock Island that you might be like James and John. You'd like to just call fire down and just burn out a section of town where you know there's drugs and all kinds of things going on or you're feeling that way maybe about uh, the gay and the homosexual attitudes and the lesbians and all of that kind of stuff. And God just ought to call fire down and just destroy all of that. I want to remind you of one thing. My God sent his son to this world to die for those people. And if he did, and we all know that he did, my responsibility is to go to those places or to help people who are working in situations like that to bring hope and peace and love in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus said, you're to go into all the world. Now, I don't know if you understand that in their, in their terms. Jesus told them to go into all the world. Where had they been? Jesus' ministry was not over 90 miles in length, okay? And maybe 40, 50 miles wide. That's where it was. So when Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world, what do you think went through their minds? Well, the world then would have been, well, Antioch's about 200 miles north of here. That's a long way. And then they might think of Corinth, and then they might think of Rome. And Rome would have been like, you know, almost like us going to the moon. What do you think they would think now? Because you can get on a plane and be in Israel in, what, eight hours? Leaving out of New York? I mean, it's amazing what we do. And I looked out on the board, and you guys have been everywhere. I mean, you're in China with Wing Wong. Uh, you're in Haiti. Uh, you're, you're all over the world because you have given like through Lincoln, and we have been in those places. I've not been to all those places, but we have been to those places because of people who prepared for ministry. My question is this. When was the last time that you told somebody here, you need to give your life to God's work? I would encourage you to put your arm around those who need to go and those who need to prepare to become servants for Jesus Christ around the world. Jesus told us, that's what I want you to do. I want you to prepare people so that they can go and they can take this great commission, this commission of action to the world in which we live. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the gospel of Christ. I don't know what it is, it is that decision you need to make or how you can, what, what you need to think about in your mind, whether or not it's the idea of, you know, I, I know that the work of the Lord is very important and how much should I give and how much do I need to be involved in it? Well, it does take money. Uh, so it's not maybe what I give to the, to the Lord and what I give to the kingdom. Or about my, my own life, am I a positive witness for him? Because when we walk out the doors, that's when it begins. It begins as we live out our Christian life 
so that other people will know who Jesus is. If there's some kind of decision you need to make, we stand today and sing an invitation hymn for you to respond to whatever it is that Christ wants you to do with your life. Let's be standing.